Please stand for the reading of the word from Exodus 3 and Isaiah 9. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign that for you, that it, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said no further. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this my title for all generations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks, Aaron. What is it about looking at Christmas lights that we love so much? We've come through a season of darkness and an interval on the Christian calendar of waiting. We lit our Advent candles of hope and peace, love, joy, and celebrated the arrival of Christ. As a baby, right? I have to apologize to y'all. This is a perfect day to be honoring Ben Seibert because he always says about me that I worship through, I, through my emotions, and so I guess that's true for preaching as well as singing and praying and all those things. Um, but that fact alone, the way Jesus entered the world, reveals so much about the nature of our God. At the same time, leaves many of our minds puzzling as to God's methods, right? But we've begun a brand new year 
And by the grace of God, we get to decide what to do with it. We're in the afterglow of the illumination. It's a revelatory time. As Michael said, it's a remembering time for lots of us. And so I have a remembering story for you, a growing up story. Growing up, um, my mom and dad, who are here, and my brother, who is also here, celebrated the 12 days of Christmas. And we began this on December, ter- December 13th. And I know you're cringing. Um, mostly because my parents liked the song, I have a feeling. Um, And while we very much, my brother and I, enjoyed the little gifts leading up to Christmas, it felt a little bit like cheating. And at the risk of making my own kids feel deprived, they don't know the story, I'll confess that our parents even sent a box to ACU Station when we were in college with 12 little wrap treats inside to continue this tradition while we were away from home. And I'm sure my senior at ACU was going, now wait just a minute, you've never done that. I don't know any college student who would love this, but it was when I received some questioning looks from my peers at the time um, that my own 12 days of Christmas tradition receive some of the deconstruction that college offers lots of our views. No one directly condemned me, but the looks opened some research on the Christian calendar and the aha moment that you know is coming. We're in the 12 days of Christmas right now, right? Um, These reflective days span December 26th um, through January 6th when the true epiphany The true good news, the manifestation of the truth of God's mission for all people is celebrated with the arrival of the Gentile Magi, right? God's first nod in the lifetime of Jesus that God's mission blew up in Christ from the Jews alone to any and all who bow their hearts to God's name. It's a big deal for us. So good news rings loudly and clearly this day of our season. So as we enter together into a time to hear a word from the Lord, we pray this Psalm of David, desiring a sense of God's sustained and sustaining nearness while we celebrate Jesus coming among us. So pray with me. God, you are our God. We search for you, we thirst for you. We are a weary people in a dry and parched land. We have seen you in this sanctuary. We have beheld your power and your glory. God, your love is better than our lives. So because of this, we praise you our whole lives long with our hands lifted high. We will be content as if having eaten the richest of foods, Our lips will sing, our mouths will praise your name because you are our help. We remember you when we are lying in our beds. We think of you through the watches of the night. We stay close to you. You hold us in your right hand high. So together we pray you will support us, God, in the hearing of your message this day through Christ's spirit, present within and among us. Amen. So it's within our families that we often see the revelatory work of God, if we slow down enough to notice. 
Like the Magi, our family did a fair bit of bumping around this holiday season, some of it unplanned, and some of it we've anticipated for two years now because COVID disrupted our crew quite a bit last year. And we slowed down, we did some noticing, and I hope you got to as well. Um, Even the ladybug crawling on the windshield as we waited in a long line of cars to escape the parking lot of the San Marcos outlet shops. Each venture found us sleeping, not in a stable, but in what was essentially the same room, okay? So I'm now one of three Uh, Four, three other adult men in my family. So you can imagine what that could have been like. But waking up to the sound of one another's breath, the family workshop of God was brought to mind more clearly for me. Family is a space where we truly are able to see the work of God in the lives of one another. We experience one another in humanity, all the beauty and shortfall that this entails, and are able to see the light of God when it comes. We are drawn into spaces where the Lord reveals God's presence. We enter one another's lives and we search carefully for the light. When we see it, we are overwhelmed with joy. We have the privilege of opening our treasures to one another, resting and dreaming together, And it is often in this space God speaks and leads. And so much was true in the story of Joseph and his family, which led into that of Moses in Egypt. Now, if you saw the homecoming musical at ACU this past fall, right? You've had a fresh view of the people of God finding their home in Egypt. For the moment, let's allow ourselves to be swept up in the sharing of the story once again and see it with fresh eyes. Okay, remember, it all began with God's people in Egypt, with the family of Jacob coming to the land for respite from the famine that was ravaging what had been their fruitful Canaan. Joseph had blessed the kingdom with his presence as an emissary for God, and Joseph's family had been blessed, even through the unfortunate sin which ultimately landed Joseph in his position of influence in the palace. Joseph's 12 brothers, for whom the tribes of Israel were named, became so strong, Egypt was filled with their families. Levi's family birthed Moses around the time that the new king, the one that didn't know Jacob's legacy through Joseph, began to notice the Israelites, felt threatened by their sheer number and oppressed them in hopes they wouldn't be able to stand up under the burden and begin to die out. Their lives were bitter, and the curse of the ground in the garden was a very real and daily experience for them. The tyrannical king coined the phrase, more bricks, less straw, right? Demanding more productivity, yet offering no more resources. And we may be thinking the last two years have been a beat down, and they have in many ways, very real ways in this group. This is the thought the people of God throughout time can relate to, most surely. So growing up, Moses had to know he was different. As a boy, his Hebrew parents would not have yet celebrated the Passover or the 12 days of Christmas at weird times, but he would have noticed that there were no other Hebrew boys his age and that he was the only Hebrew in the palace of the king. 
Here is where Moses' life and the life of Christ begin to run parallel in the scriptural accounts. Each was born into an innocent slaughter of all the baby boys their age. At each birth, the politic and power felt threatened and went for blood. Now Moses, being from the tribe of Levi, would have heard stories of God's miracles from Abraham through Jacob, even while he was living in the king's palace as Jochebed, his true mother nursed him. He was a beautiful person, described in scripture as a wonderful baby, someone people who would listen to. I suspect he had leadership instincts. He'd watch the inner workings of the kingdom as his people were abused by the head of his own household. We can imagine the feelings all of these circumstances together would have seeded and grown in Moses as he became a young man. Moses probably thought his day had arrived when he witnessed an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew man and acted on his instincts, killed the Egyptian taskmaster. But this sent Moses careening into an isolation in the wilderness. Word began to spread about his misguided attempt to liberate his people in his own power, and he had to flee, which lands us in today's story. The people of God are in bondage. The harshness of this world today makes it a difficult situation to which we can relate. Moses is working in the wilderness. He is isolated from his people But he's gotten married. It seems he's an attention getter, even in isolation. And he's working for his father-in-law, Jethro, a priest in Midian. Moses is in a revelatory time, but he doesn't know it. He's working the sheep on a mountain called Horeb, or Wasteland. Moses might have agreed and called it horrible. It's not hard to see how Moses might have been feeling completely derailed. We can identify with this. We have felt this way before. Cruising down the road of life with God, I've experienced God pulling the car over for a seemingly endless pit stop, the kind where kids whine, come on, right? At a point in our family's history here in Abilene, um, I felt God's call to teach elementary students, which surprised me. During the interview process, I learned that the desire was to begin a new class for three-year-old students. And their wish was for me to upstart this class. Now, having spent time previously in the classrooms of the very young, but more recently in a high school classroom, I thought I was on my way somewhere different. Teaching older students attracted me. Now, you may snicker at my short-sightedness, and I really hope you do. I'm embarrassed to confess how derailed I felt taking a deep dive back down to work with entry-level students. This church values the very young for the theological giants that we know they are and that you know I was about to learn up close and personal. Young children, and I'd now say threes in particular, are God's very best teachers. Sharing some of the most precious days of life with young students, I learned things about God, about people, about myself, They can't be learned any other way. Vital, life-changing. Things that have left me forever indebted to these young partners. For what seemed to me a time like a wilderness wandering. 
If God had not required and formed the grace to see or pressed me into a spot I initially thought I didn't want to be, I could have easily missed this direction that refined God's purpose in my sight. Now Moses was about to do the same thing. So far, what he had done, he had done, with his God-given instincts, isolated him in the wilderness, which is exactly where God knew Moses needed to be in order to hear the voice of God and know it was God, both speaking and faithful to do the thing about which God was speaking. This apparent wasteland was God's choice for an illuminating encounter with Moses. So for all of you fellow Hobbit fans, Moses didn't wake up one morning all Bilbo Baggins and declare, I'm going on an adventure. No, Moses was about his business, his daily bag in the desert, watching the sheep, and it is here in this non-traditional, non-religious setting that God speaks to Moses. It's a visceral, embodied passage of scripture, this exchange between God and a desperate people. Just before this incident with the talking thicket, Exodus 2 reports God heard them. God remembered his promise. God looked at his people and God noticed. Isn't this what we need to be reminded of at the beginning of a year? Which is really the next few days in the story of the prior one? God remembers, God notices. God brings Moses into this divine rhythm of seeing and acting. Notice the moves. First, Moses notices. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then, Moses turns. Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. And last, God sees. The Lord saw that he had turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush. God calls Moses, Moses by name, in an unusual sight. Moses has a holy curiosity, moves in and hears the voice of the Lord. Moses says, here I am. There it is, that's the good part. Moses is not particularly prepared for this conversation with Yahweh in the fire, nor is he especially seeking God's mission on this day. Moses is prepared every day. God chooses someone who's utilized their gifts and shown they are not fearful of entering into active partnership with God. The Lord shepherded Moses, giving him everything he needed to be perfectly suited for the tasks ahead, even while he himself was a shepherd. Now, there's another story about our father and son that you're about to hear, a story in which a son calls, Dad, Dad, and a father responds, here I am. It's number eight. So our experiences turn into stories, and our stories can shape us. I'm going to tell you a story today that has shaped me for my pretty much my entire life. It's a story about me and my dad. There's a time that I reached out to him and said, Dad, I need something. I think it's time for something. And he met me there. He heard me. He stayed with me, and he met me right there. The story occurred when I was eight years old. 
We were living in Memphis, Tennessee, and spring baseball season had just ended. It was the beginning of summer, and uh, I was asked to continue to play and to play for a different team and to, and to get to play summer league. And I was going to play with, with guys that were about a year or two older, so nine and ten-year-old guys, a lot older, I'm sure, right? I'm, there, I'm this eight-year-old. I go to the first practice. I'm a little nervous. I don't know these guys. They're a little bit older. But I notice something at practice. In the dugout, I see something that they have. It impacts me and it grabs my attention. And I go home and I say, Dad, we need to have a conversation. There's something I need. He says, okay, what? It's just Dad and I at home. And I said, Dad, it is time. I'm playing summer league baseball. I'm playing with kids that are a little bit older. It's time for me to start chewing tobacco. <laughs> yeah, so I remember this conversation because I remember the pause he did not immediately answer. He stared at me for what felt like a very long time. It was long enough for me to question, oh no, I made the wrong move, I shouldn't have brought this up. But after a little bit of time, as he stared at me, he said, you are exactly right. It is time for you to begin chewing tobacco. Let's go to the store. So we drive to Super D Drug Store. I remember the drive, sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm staring out the side window, just wondering, I wonder if he's going to give me a little coaching here, a little advice on what to do and how to do this. I had seen it on TV and watching baseball, and I had seen it at one baseball practice. I got no coaching while we, drived, while we drove down there. So we get there, and we go in the store, and Dad says, go on over to that aisle and get what you need. I'm going to be over here taking care of some other things. I'm sure he just sat there and watched me. I go to this aisle that felt like it was 100 feet long. It wasn't, but as an 8-year-old, it looked humongous to me. And I stood there for a while not knowing what to do, what to pick, many different options, of course. And finally, I decided I've got to, got to take the next step. I've got to grab one of these. We've got to go. I've mentioned this. My dad said, yes, I'm moving into manhood. Here we go. <laughs> so I see this package. It's got a train on it. It looks very cool. It feels and looks manly. And so I grab a package of Chattanooga Chew. And I go to the front and meet dad. And he says, great, let's pay for this. We leave. We get in the car. I remember the drive home thinking, Now's the time he's going to give me a little coaching, tell me what this is going to be like. Didn't happen. We get home, and he says, hey, we're not going to go in the house. We're going to, let's go out in the backyard. Smart guy. Um, let me remind you, this is Memphis, Tennessee. It's summer. It's hot. It's humid. It's like living in Houston, right? We go out, and he says, let's go sit in the swing. Dad's a smart man. So we go and we sit in the swing and we start swinging. And he hands me the pack of Chattanooga Chew and says, there you go. Well, once again, no advice. I'm just swinging. So I open it up and I do what I had seen on TV with baseball players. I grab a massive amount of Chattanooga Chew and I put it in my mouth. Hand him the pack. He does the same thing. I'm like, well, I've done something right. He's doing the same thing I did. Mind you, we're swinging. I'm about 30 seconds into this. And I realized this is not good. <laughs> this is not good at all. The taste, I'm spinning, this cold sweat begins to pour over my head. 
I'm watching him, he spits. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I spit. Still swinging. We get a couple minutes into it. I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this. The phone rings. I hear it and I'm thinking, oh, I'll, I'm going to go get the phone. I need to take care of that. So I run into the house. I'm in the house. I'm about to pick up the phone and I realized, oh, I've got a mouthful of chewing tobacco. <sighs> yeah. Wrong move, right? Swallow it. Pick up the phone. It's one of my aunts. I go outside. Dad, so-and-so called. He says, okay, well, that's great. Where's the chewing tobacco? I said, I swallowed it. It's fine. I see his face change. And yes, about an hour and a half later, everything changed for me. I changed to about three shades of green, and everything that was on the inside came out for a good while. I rem my mom was not home during any of this. And I remember when she came home, I was laying on the floor of our den under the ceiling fan. The ceiling fan was on high. I was trying to cool my body down in severe pain, a certain shade of green that was not good. And she walked in, looked at me, and looked at him and said, what did you do to him? <laughs> Later that night, I pitched a baseball game. And uh, I learned a lot that day. It was a risky move by my dad. It was a genius move by my dad. But my dad that day met me where I wanted to be met. He could have handled that in a lot of different ways, but he said, I'll meet you there and I'll sit with you. My dad wasn't a guy that chewed tobacco. That was just as bad for him as it was for me. But he met me there and he stayed with me. And we swung in that swing and we learned a lot that day, I did. It gives me hope in starting a new year, an opportunity for us to sit together. We may not have all the answers, but we can sit together we can be together as a family. And it's also a great reminder of how we start this year with the knowledge knowing that God's gonna always sit with us in that swing. He's never going to leave us alone. He may not give us every answer. He may wait on us to make a decision, but he's going to sit there with us every time. Mm -hmm. Got your money's worth right there. So a little more to that story about sending our kids packages in college. Uh, there was a day where he got a package in his mailbox that used to be more of a thing at ACU that happened to be a package of Chattanooga Chew. So, and I think there was a note on it that said, thinking of you. So this story has trickled through our family in other ways for a long time, but that's enough for right now. So Isaiah says, before those people lived in darkness, but now they have seen a great light. They lived in a dark land, but the light has shined on them. Light was the very first thing God created. At the outset, God manifests God's presence in the created world and said, let there be light. We experience and we share this light through what we do and how we are with one another. It's our willingness to partner, to follow, to be, and no one is better at this than the youngest ones among us, um, the eight-year-old. Or if we pay attention, we'll notice the presence children offer one another. They don't enter situations with questions, excuses, strategy. They're often not very expedient. Yet they offer presence for as long as it takes 
to get the game going again, to get life back on track. We can take note. When the fall occurred in the garden and God's gift of free choice allowed sin to enter the world, God came calling, where are you? And we hid. Our instinct when God comes calling is to focus on ourselves, either pridefully passing up an opportunity to join God or fearfully able not to see past our own shortcomings. I had a a light moment one day during Advent. I was doing some reading in the front room of our home, um, a room lined with windows on the east side. And it's a place where I often spend time in the morning because that's where the light comes in. It's really beautiful and really ugly all at the same time because the light comes in and it warms and illuminates everything in the space. But at the same time, every bit of dust, you can imagine this, in the room, catches the light. It's like a billion little dirt stars in the atmosphere of the room. And when this happens, my instinct is to abandon the quieter activities that are refilling my soul and stock it to the dirt, get up and do something about it. But the same dust that will creep back into my very human life tonight and tomorrow And the day after that is the dust that I am made of. Our lives are made of dirt. But when we allow Christ's light to flood into our hearts, into our lives, into our very selves, this very same thing happens. The light catches everything. And I want to suggest as we move into a new year that that's okay. In this season of light, the Lord says, I am Lord of all of that our humanity, our shortcomings, the highs, the lows. God says, I have a purpose for all of that. The Lord pleads, please just be with me and join my work and let me take care of perfecting you at the end of time when all will be complete. God says, don't spend your energy trying to perfect what's mine to complete in my time. Look around. And notice all I'm doing. Watch for the one who comes to you and says, I'm ready. Take her where she needs to go to get the job done and then sit with her. So many others in the biblical text heard God's voice and joined. Samuel said, speak, Lord. I'm your servant. I'm listening. Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. To which the Lord answered, Jeremiah, get ready. Stand up. At the outset of Paul's ministry, the Lord called Ananias and he answered, Here I am, Lord. He was told to lay hands on and anoint Saul to preach to the Gentiles. And he asked God, Lord, do you know, have you heard what Saul's been up to lately? But Saul had seen a great light, a blinding light, on the road. And so Ananias went to him, called him brother, and anointed him, after which both men could see differently. So one last story. We've enjoyed walking our dogs in the evening this holiday season because the Christmas lights on people's houses make the daylight last a little bit longer. And it's not only very bright, but it's beautiful and it's pleasant to walk. I bet you've been doing that too. And there's one particular spot in which the houses on both sides of the street have lit their 
cards with white lights, and it really is blinding. Walking through is a blinding experience, and when we emerge on the other side, we're able to see again, but in a new way. And I can't help but think how to experience this. We place ourselves in this light. We choose to take the walk, to submit to the path, its brilliance, and all it reveals. And then in the midst of all that, remain aware of the voice of God that says, just be, because I am. One commentator, Terence Fredheim, says, wherever God is being God, God will be the kind of God God is. We trust a God that tells us, I will be who I will be. There is an assurance we have of God's divine presence that can only be realized when we look back at God's track record of faithfulness to us. So let's challenge ourselves. As we switch our calendars over to the new year, let's reflect once more on the past year. I have a nerdy practice that I do every year in which I go through and transfer everybody's birthday on a paper calendar from one to the next. And I know it's archaic, but it's what I do. And it allows me to reflect each month on God's provision. Let's make a concrete list of God's provision over the last year. Where did God show up and declare, I am? How willingly did we just be and allow God to work? After declaring the great light, Isaiah prophesies, Shout aloud and sing for joy, O people of God, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So if you're starting something new in 2022, coming to church today, tuning in online, or if you've been a a part of this church for as long as you can remember, we want you to know that you belong here. God is great in our midst, within us and among us. The Christmas lights are coming down, but we have each other to reflect the light.